Come, Holy Spirit, and lead us to Christ here and now. Amen. Reading the Bible is hard sometimes. It's just really challenging sometimes uh, for you and for me. And, you know, I'm a professional Bible thumper, and it's still hard. I've been struggling with Matthew 25 all week, wrestling with it like Jacob wrestled an angel. It is a notoriously difficult passage. It's difficult for 21st century people, not the least of which because it's got some of our least favorite themes, hell and judgment. My struggle with it is that it seems to disagree or be in tension with other parts of the New Testament that are so important to me that I love. It seems to be in tension with other parts of the New Testament. Now let me explain that. Think about what the reading you just heard from Matthew 25 And then think about a famous passage like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world might have life through Him. Think also about Romans 5, 8. God proved His love for the world that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Those two passages from John and from Paul, respectively, those two passages seem to indicate that the basis for salvation is God's gift of Christ on the cross and our response to that gift through faith. Now, Matthew 25, in its most plain reading, seems to say that the basis for judgment and salvation is how people treat the least of Jesus' family, the least of these. And to my understanding, those two ideas are in some kind of tension. I hope you can see that. I hope you can see the tension between those two. Now, how can that be? Because it's both in the Bible, right? Well, the Bible, even though we bind it like a book, is actually not a book. It's more of a library. It's got multiple authors from multiple communities over different periods of time, and at different parts Those authors and communities and traditions are in some degree of tension with one another. If you did our Sunday School series on theological issues in the letters of Paul, I hope some of this starts to ring some bells. If you hadn't had a chance to go back to our YouTube channel and uh, and watch those Sunday Schools after this sermon, because I think it'll give you some more context, there's some tantalizing details about the New Testament and about the early church history that we can see through this tension between John, Paul, and Matthew. You see, Paul had an experience of Jesus on the road to Damascus that changed him fundamentally and changed how he understood salvation and our relationship to the law. Now, Paul wasn't the only voice in the first century Christian world. He wasn't the only Christian evangelist traipsing about the Mediterranean basin, sharing the good news of God in Christ. and Christ. He's not the only voice in the New Testament. Scholars think that Matthew was one of the Christians who disagreed with Paul about how salvation works and how the law comes to be a part of our understanding. In a very broad sense, Paul is a Christian Jew who doesn't see that the law is instrumental for salvation, and Matthew is a Jewish Christian 
who thinks the law still has a salvific role to play. And these two ideas are in tension. Now, there's a way to like synthesize that and kind of put them together with some theological work that makes them both work together, which is what I did in last Sunday's sermon. If you weren't completely satisfied by that, I wasn't completely satisfied either. But it's what I do. I make sense of these two in my own thinking, which a lot of the Christian tradition has done. It's done best, I think, by the Heidelberg Confession, which says it is impossible for those with faith not to do good works. Meaning if you have faith, it's going to flow into good works. It's just going to happen. I agree with that, and yet, just a plain reading of Matthew 25, I don't think he's exactly saying that. And I don't want to cage the wild tiger. I want the Jesus of Matthew's gospel to speak to me this morning and to speak to you unfiltered, uncut, and unexplained away. When I read John and Paul, man, my heart is filled with the love of Christ who speaks to me through those passages. But something different happens when I read Matthew 25. Something different, but not... not bad or not against the purposes of God. I think with the purposes of God. When I read Matthew 25, I'm challenged to seek God in the present, right here and right now, in my relationships, in the place that God has put me. To explain that, let me tell you a story. There was a famous rabbi, Polish rabbi, the founder of the Hasidic movement, in fact, a guy named Israel ben Eleazar. And one day, a rich man came to Rabbi Ben Eleazar and said, Rabbi, I keep hearing that people in our community are having visions of Elijah. And I want a vision of Elijah. So tell me what to do. So the rabbi says, here's an address. He wrote down an address and said, go to this address and you will meet the prophet Elijah. But, you, you know, when you go, you should bring some bread, you know, and some cheese and some wine. You know, the prophet Elijah is a big deal. So come prepared. He went to the address. It's a very humble home. He gets there and he knocks on the door and he's welcomed by a very poor family. He shares his food and his wine, but the prophet Elijah doesn't show up. He goes back to the rabbi and says, basically, rabbi, it didn't work. He said, okay, okay, okay. Here's another address. Do the same thing. Yada, yada, yada. He gets the, gets the stuff, gets the food, gets the wine, goes to a different poor home, meets a different poor family, has a meal with them. No prophet Elijah. As you can imagine, the rich man is hopping mad at this point. He goes back to the Reb's house in the early part of the next morning and says, you're having a game with me and I don't appreciate it. And the rabbi says, no, no, no. Just try one more time. Isn't it worth trying one more time to meet the prophet Elijah? So he gives him another address. He buys the same stuff. It's the most humble home of the three yet. It's a hovel, basically. And as he goes to knock on the front door, he thinks, the rabbi is having a go with me. I'm going home. And as he resolves to go home, he hears on the other side of the door the voice of a child saying, Mother, I'm hungry. And the mother responding to the child by saying, Child, be patient. The rabbi said the prophet Elijah would come and give us some food. The point of that moving story is that Elijah ascended into the whirlwind and never properly left, actually. 
and that God is right here in our midst. God is present. We would say Christ is present in our midst in a mysterious, unconscious way that we don't control, and yet we have to trust in. Perhaps the point of Matthew 25 is to make us ask this most urgent question. Where is Christ today? Where is Christ in my life? Where is Christ in the person in front of me? Try as we might, Matthew 25 will not tell you exactly what to do next time someone approaches you panhandling. Matthew 25 will not tell you exactly what to do with your possessions. And yet Matthew 25 does say in those examples and in other examples of life, the most important question to ask is, where is Christ? Where is Christ? And where am I being led? Perhaps church is not a thing we do or an event, but being part of a family. It's a way of life. Where is Christ is the most important question of our lives. At the end of the day, I can't square Paul and Matthew exactly. I can't make them make exactly the same point, but here's the thing. I don't think I have to. I'm going to let Christ sort that out. I feel challenged by Matthew, even alarmed by the sheep and the goats, but that doesn't mean that I don't also feel loved by God and Christ. I feel both those things. I feel known and loved by Christ and yet challenged to seek Christ today and this week in my world. I'm challenged and yet loved. And that's the presence of Christ here in this room this morning. I think that's what the poet Christian Wyman was getting at when he wrote these powerful words. To love is to feel your death given to you like a sentence to meet the judge's eyes as if there were a judge, as if he had eyes and love. Thanks be to God.